Hi ho! Welcome to Nebcast episode something with only Ryan. Now some of you might want to turn off your computers right now and turn down your iPods, but let me tell you something. I am so captivating and so riveting that this time with me will seem like Franklin Delano Roosevelt's fireside chats in the 40s, where you just can't wait until I will be by myself again. Wait, that sounds weird. But anyways, uh, yeah, Brad's in New York, and I am by myself, so I will try to keep you entertained. Well, I'm going to start off by um, saying that in the background, you can hear Rod Stewart. Now, I've had beefs with Brad in the past because we have music always playing in the background, and my favorite is Rod Stewart, and for some reason, Rod Stewart has never made it into any of our nebcasts. And so that's why today, if you listen really closely, the only music that you will hear is Rod Stewart. Now some people out there are like, hey Ryan, you must be really gay because you like Rod Stewart. Oh, not the case, my friend. Rod Stewart is the man. He has sold 250 million records worldwide. He continues to have number one albums. A lot of people can't say that now. Um, what else? When I'm at his concerts, there's tons of chicks. So, um, if anybody's gay, it's the people who don't listen to Rod Stewart. So, in your face. And while we're on music, I'm going to talk about people I don't like. And everybody already knows this, but I'm going to go ahead and bash U2 one more time. Because they drive me nuts. Now, I used to like U2's older stuff. When they had the Joshua Tree, and they actually cared about the music and made good records, then they were good. But when they started doing stuff like Vertigo and I don't even know their other songs, but anytime you go uno, dos, tres, catorres, and you're going one, two, three, fourteen, it's kind of irritating. And then you become into a, a prick that like Bono is, where he thinks he's so important in the world, he's just a freaking musician, and he tries to make a difference, which is fine. I understand that he has wealth and he's trying to make the world better for other people, but really, he's kind of really just annoying. Because he rides around in his private jets and he thinks his shit don't stink and he thinks he's so badass. And you really need to to get my feelings of Bono. There's an episode of South Park, which is one of my favorite TV shows, by the way, that is called More Crap. And all they do is basically call Bono the biggest piece of shit in the world. And I could not agree more. Anyways, um, enough of my uh, ripping on Bono-ness. Um, a lot going on. I have just discovered a great TV show that I have never watched before, and I'm kind of upset with myself that I haven't. It's a TV show called Scrubs, and this show is so goofy and so ridiculous, it just makes me laugh all the time. But it also has incredible heart, and it has these lessons that these doctor interns learn that is really rarely seen in TV. I mean, it doesn't always end well for these people. Um, patients that they love die randomly. Um, they've run into complications. Sometimes there's a happy ending, but in the line of work they're in, mostly it's not. And it's a really funny show, and I recommend everybody checking it out. And I really have to thank a very special young woman for introducing me to that show, because the show is epic, and I really, really do enjoy it. Since we're on TV, I'm going to go ahead and uh, list my favorite TV shows, and you can agree or disagree based on your preferences. Um, my favorite shows that are on right now is obviously Scrubs. 
Scrubs is on ABC now. It moved from NBC to ABC. It was really f kind of funny, but um, another show that um, I really, 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 really enjoy that's on right now is 24. 24 took a year and a half hiatus because of the writer strike, and they shoot their episodes straight. So it's 24 episodes straight. A lot of sitcoms take time off midway through to get their writers take a break, and then they come back and finish the season. 24 doesn't do this. 24 goes 24 straight episodes. And if you've never seen 24, 24 also takes place in real time. So every hour on 24 is a true hour. And it takes place over a day. Anyways, um, day seven has started, and I have to say it's really enjoyable. A lot of people were upset with day six, but I actually like day six. It does have a lot of similar elements from the previous seasons. But again, the acting in that show, Kiefer Sutherland as Jack Bauer, elevate that show to extraordinary heights that a lot of people, or a lot of shows rather, cannot reach. So make sure you check out 24 on Fox, Mondays at 8 o'clock. You will not be sorry. I'm telling you, it's one of the best shows on TV. One of my favorite shows that is no longer on, actually my favorite show of all time, is... Friends, and a lot of people, again, they'll say, Rod Stewart and Friends, Ryan, seriously? But if you get past, um, you know, the only thing that a lot of people focused on with Friends was their hairstyles and their lives outside of Friends, Jennifer Aniston, most notably. It is a really funny show. Every character on that show has a distinct voice, and every episode is usually really funny, and how these people interact with each other. We'll remind you a lot of your friends because everybody has specific friends that have their own little quirks. Um, favorite characters on the show is I love Chandler. Chandler is um, played by Matthew Perry and Matthew Perry plays him as an insecure goofy guy and somebody I know really close to me, me can really relate to that um, just because he replaces a lot of his doubts with humor and I think a lot of people can relate to that I know I certainly can if anything's uncomfortable I'll be the first one to try to make it funny or try to lighten the mood even if the uh, mood does not call for it I will still try to make it lighthearted and that's what Chandler does um I'm gonna go old school with my next favorite tv show the Dick Van Dyke show the Dick Van Dyke Show is a classic show, and what I really appreciate the Dick Van Dyke Show now, especially, it's almost been 50 years since that show's been on, and they have this great writing, this writing is so good in that show that you can relate to the show even today, the relationship between Rob and his wife, uh, Laura, they still ring true today. Um, one of my favorite episodes is The Curious Thing About Women, and in the episode, Rob's wife, Laura, opens up his mail all the time and Rob says why do you have to open up my mail and she says you know they get in a little argument about it and then Rob asks comes home later that night and asks if Laura's mad and she says she is and he asks why she's mad and Laura says well if you don't know I'm certainly not gonna tell you and I'm pretty sure every guy in any relationship has heard that line at one point in their life so again a show that's almost 50 years old still rings true today. South Park, of course, is another show that you have to give shout-outs to. Um, these guys, 
go on and say what people want to say but are too afraid to say, they'll say it anyways. Whether it's making AIDS funny or saying that 9-11 is a conspiracy or calling Bono a piece of shit or making fun of Christian rock music. It's just, they write it so bitingly and so funny that it is true and it has heart and it's a, and everyone if you get past the vulgarness it's an incredibly well-written show and it's great it, everybody should watch south park some of the uh other shows i love is colbert rapport the daily show make sure you watch those because anytime you make fun of the political scene is great i don't know how well they're going to do now that w's out of office and uh, we have someone like Obama in office, but we'll see. We'll see what they got cooked up. I don't also only watch TV. A lot of people think that I'm just a huge movie, TV, video game nerd. But it's not true. I do like to read books a lot. My favorite books are historical books. I am reading American Lion, which is about Andrew Jackson right now. And that book is incredible. To give you a sense of what Andrew Jackson went through when he was around is indescribable. Everybody should pick up that book. A lot of people think of Andrew Jackson as a racist and somebody who should not be celebrated in American history. But when you read about him, you appreciate him more. And Teddy Roosevelt said that he was the greatest president ever in American history. And if Teddy Roosevelt says it, then it might, it should ring true to a little bit. I mean, he did make some um, poor choices, and uh, he did help annihilate Native Americans. But he also defended the country with all his heart. Because back then, they really honestly thought of the Native Americans as threats to um, Western expansion and the American way of life. So the best thing to do to him, instead of treating him as equals, Andrew Jackson thought, was eradicating him. And his journey that he went through to do this is really... I mean, it's... You'll have to read the book to uh, fully understand his mind frame, but I recommend everybody picking up that book. Um, Fiction World War Z about the zombie apocalypse is another great book. Harry Potter's, of course. See, I like everything. Everyone thinks I'm so one-dimensional. No, Harry Potter. Wow. But, again, my favorite is historical stuff, Andrew Jackson and stuff. Um... But my favorite books of all time are comic books. I know, I know, I'm the biggest nerd out there, but my girlfriend is really, really hot, so it doesn't matter. My favorite comic book character is Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man because he embodies strength and courage and the everyday person. He's not Superman where he has incredible powers and he seems to always make the right decision, and he's a Boy Scout. Spider-Man makes mistakes. That's what he does, and he learns from them. I mean, Spider-Man's origin is his biggest mistake ever. He could have stopped a robber, but instead he let him go. And that robber came out and murdered his uncle, which paved the way for him being Spider-Man to fight crime selflessly. And he is feared by the public. He is feared by... This, uh, the newspapers who write him as a mass vigilante and try to soil his good name, but Spider-Man continues the good fight 
through it all, Spider-Man will continue to fight no matter what. That's what he does. That's what he's. That's what made him who he is, and he's a great, great, great hero. And people know lately I've been having my beefs with the Spider-Man comics because they decided that Spider-Man and his wife should not be married. The higher-ups at Marvel thought that it really aged the character for him to be married. But I think any character has to grow, and Spider-Man cannot always be the nerdy high school kid anymore. But they decided to make him not married, and how they did this is Spider-Man revealed his identity to the world, basically making himself a target. And so by making him a target, the Kingpin hired somebody to take him out. Spider-Man sensed this, moved, and the sniper actually shot his Aunt May. By shooting his Aunt May, his Aunt May was going to die. And Spider-Man would do anything in the world to save his Aunt May. So to save his Aunt May, Mephisto, who is Marvel's version of basically Satan, appears to Peter. And he says, you know what, Spider-Man? I will make you a deal. I will save your aunt's life, but your marriage never happened. I'll exolve your marriage. It never happened. And right away, there's already loopholes in this situation because no matter how much Peter loves his aunt and what do you do anything for, Spider-Man in a million years would never, ever make a deal with the devil. But he does, and by doing that, his marriage gets rid of 20 years of continuity in Spider-Man comics. So it reverts back to him being a single guy. Harry Osborn is back from the dead. Nobody remembers who Spider-Man is. And at the beginning, the stories were really clumsy. They, did, they weren't good. They kept on reiterating his new status quo is, look at all these new people that's around him. Remember that he's not married. This and that and that. I mean, they did introduce some interesting characters. Menace, who is a Green Goblin-ish character, who's trying to sabotage this mayor race, is a good character. Um, and it was really plodding along for a long time. And by doing this, it really made the stories not quality. The art was really good in it, but the stories really lacked because they would have to keep on telling you the status quo. Remember, Spider-Man isn't married anymore. Remember, Spider-Man doesn't have a job. Remember, Spider-Man's this. Remember, Spider-Man's that. So it really made the stories not fun to read. And then about two or three months ago, it started turning a corner where the writers, instead of reminding the status quo, just decided, hey, maybe we should just write really good Spider-Man stories. And to my great surprise, they're starting to turn me with uh, this hammerhead story. Uh, two-part story they did was incredible and spider-man's back to being fun spider-man it's the one thing that i thought was missing in the last about five years of spider-man comics is he lost his sense of humor a lot he lost his goofiness and that's one of the great things about spider-man too is he's always been goofy he's always been funny he always has fun but he but he's been dragged down and he's had a lot going on the last five years so to have him come back to being the goofy superhero who cracks jokes while he's punching villains and stuff. It's a great, great thing to see in Spider-Man comics. Another thing that I'm really digging in comic books right now is my second favorite character, obviously, is the Green Goblin. And the Green Goblin has now become the most powerful man in Spider-Man and the Marvel Universe's... Uh, basically, Marvel Universe 
Green Goblin is the most powerful man there. He's gotten control of the heroes. He's assembled a new Avengers called the Dark Avengers, and he's made himself not the Green Goblin, but he calls himself Iron Patriot now, which is basically Iron Man in a different in with, but the Green Goblin's in the Iron Man suit. So that should be really interesting to see what happens when he has all this power, because one thing I know about Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin is he is a nut bar, and so it won't last forever, and something will cause him to snap, and when he does, he has all this power. If I was the Marvel Universe and Spider-Man, I would totally look out, and I know, I just went on a really long rant and made me seem totally nerdy. But you know what? I don't care. I, I love I love nerdy things. I love Spider-Man. I love video games. My favorite video game, of course, is if you know anything about me, is Mortal Kombat. I love Resident Evils. The new Mortal Kombat game, Mortal Kombat vs. the DC Universe, which is another comic book company, was really good. I was surprised. I was really worried when they first announced it because... One thing about Mortal Kombat, as everybody knows, is it's extremely violent and the fatalities are over the top. And they had to make this game teen-rated, not mature-rated, basically the R-rated version of video games they couldn't do because they had Superman and Batman in this game and these guys are not going to kill anybody. So how the creative team thought of ways around it was actually kind of ingenious. They, they still have finishing moves, but they call them heroic brutalities. And so it'd be like Superman pounding you into the ground, or Batman throwing a, a homing device on you and bats come attack you. Stuff like that is really cool. But then the Mortal Kombat characters and the DC villains, Catwoman and the Joker, could kill you. They did have fatalities. They were watered down, but the game was still a lot of fun to play. And I, I enjoyed it. Uh, the, the fighting was still brutal. Lots of broken bones. The costumes tore. So I was really surprised on how it turned out. Now the only thing I'm waiting for is a true Mortal Kombat game on PlayStation 3 where it is extremely violent with the stuff they're able to do now. It should be really fun. Resident Evil, my another one of my favorite video game series, has a game coming out really soon. Resident Evil 5, which looks fantastic. Uh, my favorite Resident Evil is Resident Evil 2. When I was in high school, me and Adam, who is part of our Nebus Visions family, we used to have competitions on who could beat the game the fastest. And I think, I don't know, I think I had the shortest time. I know it was like an hour and 15 minutes. Adam was really close. I knew we used to sit down and watch each other play and see who could beat it the fastest. I know, right? We're the biggest nerds you ever heard of. But to this day, I can still put in Resident Evil 2 and pretty much remember where everything is. I'm kind of getting an itch to play it again and see how fast I can beat it. And they used to have incentives for beating it that quick. You could play as different characters, but you could only save like once too. So you couldn't die because if you died, then you'd, your game wasn't saved. So it was really difficult to go through the game and not die fight all the bosses and i used to save at one point in the game i there's a part where you run through uh the police department and the city of raccoon and then you have to go down on this train wait that sounds really sexual you had to take a train down to a basement and 
and then I would save only there, and then I'd have to, that was basically the halfway point in the game, and then I'd have to beat the other half of the game all the way through, and you have to, oh man, I just remember how hard that was, but I really enjoyed it. So I'm really looking forward to Resident Evil 5. I'm a big fan of the Mario games. I've often said if I was stranded on a desert island and I was given only one video game to play with, the video game that I would choose above all else was the original Super Mario Brothers. I still think that is one of the best design games, one of the most fun games to ever play. And to this day, if I don't know what to play, I will turn on my Wii and I will play Super Mario Brothers straight through every level until I beat it because I truly do love that game. I don't know what it is about. Simple design. I've beaten it. I couldn't even tell you how many times I've beaten it, but I could always pick up that game and play it. I just love the game. I truly do. Um, on the Wii right now, I'm really disappointed with the Wii, to tell you the truth. They haven't had a lot of games come out recently. The games they have had come out are really quality, but um, the problem with the Wii is it's so universally loved by casual gamers that a lot of the games that are coming out now are geared towards that group. It's, you know, a bunch of party games, and they don't have anything to do with hardcore gamers where I'm missing the Zeldas, I'm missing Super Mario Galaxy. They need sequels to those games soon because that's what we need. We need, we need at least a Zelda or Mario game every year, and right now they're slacking, but... I have faith that hopefully soon they'll announce a new one and I will be jumping platforms and collecting stars in no time. Um, movies right now, I haven't seen a movie in a while. The last movie I saw actually in the theaters was Valkyrie, which if you haven't seen it, you should go see it. I was talking to Brad about this movie and I really enjoyed the movie. I think it's really crappy that people don't go see Tom Cruise movies because they don't like him personally. But he always makes good movies. I have There's maybe one bad Tom Cruise movie, and it was Far and Away, and it still wasn't even that bad. And that movie came out like in 91, 92, I forget. It was like right after Days of Thunder. And other than that, I mean, his movies are awesome. All his Mission Impossible movies were awesome. Mission Impossible 3, if you ever want proof that Tom Cruise is a great actor, watch the opening five minutes of Mission Impossible 3, where it's just a tight end on his face, and you have no idea what's going on, but the emotions that the man is going through speak louder than anything. And, I mean, then Valkyrie is a great movie. He plays Klaus von Strassenberg, a German colonel who plots to assassinate Hitler, because towards the end of the World, uh, World War II, everybody started realizing that um, Hitler is kind of a prick. Even his own people in his army in his own circle started to doubt what he was doing and by them doing this they started to plot to kill him and there was 15 attempts on it uh von strassenberg's was the last one and what they planned to do was meet hitler in a remote place set a, a bomb blow him up and then initialize the the German reserve army to stop an uprising from the SS, which is the the German army. And how they go about do this is a really well-made movie, well-acted. All the actors in the movie are incredible. And it's directed by Brian Singer, who, of course, did The Usual Suspects, X-Men, and Superman. 
And I was t talking to Brad, and, you know, he makes really good movies. All his movies are well-made. Say what you will about Superman Returns. I mean, it is kind of boring, and, I mean, it basically the whole movie is two hours of, look how cool it is to be Superman. But at the same time, it is an incredibly well-made movie. And that's what I take away from Brian Singer all the time, is his movies are incredibly well-made whether it be X-Men or The Usual Suspects. I mean, he just makes good movies, and Valkyrie is no exception. Um, I also haven't been getting too many DVDs. Nothing has really come out that has piqued my interest in a long time. Um, the last movie I got, I just happened to get um, Friday the 13th documentary called His Name Was Jason, which is a really cool uh, documentary basically chronic chronicling the, the series of Friday the 13th. It's, it's hosted by Tom Savini, and horror nerds know that Tom Savini is one of the greatest makeup effects guys ever. He did Dawn of the Dead, the original Friday the 13th, stuff like that, and, um, and he's really fun, and he actually turned into a really good actor. He was in From Dust Till Dawn. He's the biker that has the gun that's shaped like a, a penis on his, uh, that's actually on his belt. So I really enjoy that Tom Savini is kind of a cult hero to me. That's hosted by him. The documentary is really well made. It has interviews with almost all the major players in Friday the 13th, except some kind of weirder missing. The director from Parts 2 and 3, Steve Miner, isn't in the interviews, which is kind of weird. And also, Corey Feldman's not in it. Corey Feldman killed Jason in the final chapter, and he's not in that? Is he too busy filming the two Corys? I can't imagine him being too busy. And speaking of Corey Feldman, too, uh, I watched The Lost Boys, The Tribe, and to tell you the truth, the movie's not that bad. I was expecting it not to be very good. It went straight to DVD, and The Lost Boys is one of the best vampire movies ever. It really started the whole vampire gang trend in Hollywood, and it's really the only movie that truly did the vampire gang thing very well, and I really, really enjoyed it. So, when they announced a sequel, I'm like, oh, this might be interesting. They got Corey Feldman, and I don't know. I was really apprehensive getting it. So, I rented it from Redbox, uh, just a, you know, because it's only a dollar, and I didn't want to waste a lot of money on it. I just wanted to check it out, see if it was any good. And to my surprise, it actually wasn't that bad. So, if you're a big fan of the first one, check out the second one. It has a lot of nods and winks to the first movie. Not only the first movie, but also Corey Feldman. They make a Goonies reference in there, and me being growing up with those movies made me kind of giggle i won't lie so anyways back to the friday the 13th documentary um it was really good but if you want a more comprehensive look at the friday the 13th saga you should really pick up a book called crystal lake memories by peter brackey it is so extensive and so well thought out and well put together that any fan of friday the 13th should pick it up and really all it is is a bunch of interviews again with everybody in the, it's everybody in the series, and it's put in a book, and it's really, it's really interesting what they went through to get these super violent, super exploitive movies made. And I, I enjoy them, so I'm excited for the new one that's coming out on Friday. I will be there with hockey mask and machete couple more things about uh, movies right now and I always get crap for this but I'm gonna defend Ben Affleck now that I'm by myself no one's around 
I'm going to take time to defend Ben Affleck. And again, people are going to say, Ryan, Rod Stewart, gay. Friends, gay. Ben Affleck, gay. No, 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 that's not the case, my friends. Not my humble listeners, that's not the case. Ben Affleck is a truly great actor. Quit laughing. You over there. You over there. It's true. If you take him away from the Armageddons, take him away from the Pearl Harbors, and watch him in a movie that he won an Academy Award for, for writing, Goodwill Hunting, he's great in that movie. He's an, he's an incredible actor in that movie. And then you can just go down the line. Chasing Amy, my favorite Kevin Smith movie. He is incredible in that movie, too. Just the last monologue where he's trying to convince his girlfriend and his best friend that maybe they should have a threesome is heartbreaking. And, I mean, when you're watching that, you're saying how stupid he is because you believe everything he's saying. And it's just incredible. A recent movie that he was in that a lot of people don't appreciate is Hollywoodland, where he plays George Reeves, the first person really to play Superman in silent films and his death his death was really mysterious they said he killed himself but there was some people who say he was murdered it was officially ruled a suicide but the movie plays on it and to see Ben Affleck play him is haunting and heartbreaking this depressed man and it has to be seen it's called Hollywoodland and it sets up it doesn't give you a definitive answer at all it lets you make up your own mind so it's really well made and Ben Affleck is fantastic in it as per usual with Ben Affleck and he also branched out a movie that he did not star in but he wrote and directed called Gone Baby Gone is a great movie too it centers around a little girl being kidnapped and a private investigator trying to solve what the police can't. The girl's mom gets desperate and turns to the private investigator, and it's an incredible movie. Again, the a- Casey Affleck's in it, and he's great in it. Morgan Freeman's in it. He's great in it. I mean, what is Morgan Freeman not good in? But really, truly, it's a great, great movie. So make sure you pick up that one, too. It, will, it, it makes you think, and it's just a superb, superb movie. Huh. What else? Um, you know what? I'm going to leave this as only a 30-minute nebcast because it's only me and I don't want people to get bored with just me. So I'm going to sign off. Um, go Avalanche. They're having a tough time this season. The Nuggets are on fire. The Broncos got a new head coach. What else can I squeeze in um, that it's only me? Um, I'm really mad at Rocky's management. I think I've said that before. Um, yeah, that's about it. So thanks for your attention for this 30 minutes. I hope it was informative and exciting. It probably was neither, but I hope you just had fun listening to me. I will see you next week and have fun and have a pleasant tomorrow.